0: Hey everyone, welcome back to the Connected Adventist podcast. Again, my name is Catalina. Welcome to the second part of this interview. So please make sure that you listen to part one of Coming Out Is My Mission with Michael Kadushi. And yeah, this is the second half of the interview that I did with him. All right, enjoy fam. Uh, What were some of the things that you maybe practically did or that you have seen as you have ministered around the world uh, to to people um, in the homosexual lifestyle, what are some things that you could give them advice and maybe a list of things that they could try uh, to work on um, and yeah, to seek God with?
1: Thank you, thank you. So, um, the first thing that comes to my mind is we're not talking about behavior modification and and we are not um, we are not um, people who recommend uh, like what do you call it? yes Vision conversion therapy, therapy reparative <laughs> therapy all of those are, are therapies they're behavior modification and so what you do is you shock people or or you you know you give them these strange modalities to help break them of their homosexuality that's what we're talking about that's what the world offers yeah. what Jesus Christ yeah. offers is divine intervention i can't give you that we're not yeah. about making gay people straight that's not my job My job is about connecting people to an intimate Savior in Jesus Christ. And you know what? I don't focus on your sexuality. I don't focus on your porn addiction or whether you're attracted to the same-sex, bisexual, or transgender. All of those fall into place as you pursue Jesus Christ. And if you don't have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, it's all for nothing anyway. And so we're we're not promoting behavior modification, which is this. What we're mm-hmm. providing is divine intervention. It's got to be something higher. And I think that the church, if we recognize that, that we've got to give something better than what the world is giving. Otherwise, why would anybody come into our church? And so, uh, again, take the focus off of behavior, put the focus on intimate relationship with Jesus Christ. And when Jesus starts to fill the emptiness in the heart, then that's when the Holy Spirit starts convicting of these things. As I was experiencing Jesus in a profound and intimate way, it's like all of a sudden my sexual acting out started to decrease, didn't go away. But I started to, once I was filled with the love that I needed from my savior, the love that I needed from a male that that I was denied from my dad and then the kids in school, as I finally was getting that fulfillment from him, then it wasn't necessary to act out with other men. And then slowly he started to address even same-sex attraction. And while I still struggle with same-sex thoughts in my head because I did experience that for over 20 years of my life, I do have attractions to the opposite sex as well. But still learning to manage all of that because whether you're heterosexual or homosexual, it's those sexual thoughts that can bring you down and take you into uh, different roads of sexuality that aren't healthy. But again, putting the focus back on Jesus Christ. and, And that was when things started to really shift for me. I have a saying, and I Sorry. and 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 I, I just want to say this saying real quick. It says, um, God didn't tell me to stop being gay. He just told me to stop resisting him. And what that meant uh-huh. is that I could never stop being gay. I could never give up my boyfriend, my sexual addiction, whatever that was. But as I stopped resisting Jesus Christ, as I started trusting him, and he had to earn back my trust, and that took time, Catalina, But in that process, as I started to learn to trust him more because I didn't trust any man, beginning with my dad, the kids in school that taunted and teased me, even the illicit lovers that I had that rejected me. But as Jesus started to pour himself out to me and I could trust him more, then my heart would open more and I was able to give him more. So I think it's fair to say that there's a process in that. It's not always an event, but that process may take time. And we as Christians need to be patient and long-suffering, and and respectful during that time, and to know that the Holy Spirit is doing his job. Mm.
0: And I think the really important aspect of that as well is that I think at some point, or in one way or another, I believe that God draws each one of us to him, and I I really want to detach the sexual sin, because I think that the longing, and the longing that God desires for us to have with him and the longing that we desire to have with him but we seem to fill in with other things I think that longing will always be there and unless we are willing to to really like in the last year for the people that have listened to the podcast I have dealt with a lot of stuff from my past that I didn't want to deal with because it was too painful to deal with I didn't want to have to deal with it I didn't have to process it and then I didn't I can honestly tell you I was scared for the fact that I was going to find out that God wasn't enough. Um, and there was a, I went a, a week away uh, from my family, and I dealt with a lot of the pains that I had to deal with. And the fear that I had going into that week of just me and God was that I was going to prove that God wasn't going to be enough. I was going to prove that I needed the emotional attachments. I was going to prove that I needed to be a people pleaser and say yes to everyone just so everyone liked me. I dealt with so much stuff. That at the end of that week, I can, by God's grace and to his glory, I can say that I am at a point in my life where at that before, prior to that week off, I was ready to say, like, see you to God. Like, I'm going to do my own life, going to live my own way. But I got to a point where God proved himself so faithful. Um, and like you said, that you can you can just, everything that you ever needed or wanted you found in God, and in that week I found it. Um And I think that at some point we all have to find that, whether we're gay or whether we're straight, uh, whether we have an addiction that is physically or behavioral or whether it's an emotional, internal addiction. Um, I think once we get to the point where we can allow God, we can give him the permission to prove that he is able to deal with that. um, I think that's when we will find the depth of what God can be in our lives and how complete we can be with just him, not with everything else that we tried to feel that we felt we were so dependent on. Um, and I think that that is a solution for many of us. It's just allowing God to do that and dealing through the staff and even childhood trauma or even just our own insecurities and our own dysfunctions, dealing with that, painfully dealing with that, dragging your feet and dealing with that. Um, mm. And then God will, will prove to be faithful in the end.
1: Yeah, I like that. I like that because... At the bottom line is, is he's already pursuing. The minute that you start <laughs> questioning things, that he's already working on our heart. It, he doesn't wait for us to come around and ask him in. He's already pursuing. And and really, when whenever we start to question things and whenever we feel dissatisfaction in certain things in life, it's because he's already pursuing us. And, I, and that was really difficult for me to get in my mind because I had a father that didn't pursue me. And so I had thought that God wouldn't pursue me either. But I realize now that I was totally, totally um, being pursued by, by a loving, loving father and a loving God, even in spite of my rejection of God and my cursing of God and my hatred of God, he, because he knew that there were reasons why I hated him. And it was a misrepresentation of, of what people had made God to me. So, wow, that, it's just profound how, how much he cares and, and how far yeah. he's willing to go for each one of us. Yeah, Great point. Um, and in
0: addition, to, in addition to that, I'm going to add my own little point here, of just my own observation. Um, So I was having a discussion with someone and we we're talking about homosexuality and we we're talking about different things. And I expressed to them, you know, the the little that I know uh, from the personal um, experiences that I have had with people sharing with me. Um, but in addition to that, the things that I have listened to online and um, the testimonies. But I said that, that there is a shift in, I believe, that there is a shift within sexuality and same-sex attraction. It, it, I believe, this is me and you can correct me because you're probably way more informed than what I am, but I think there is a shift from homosexuality being something that is gauged by, um, that has been as a result of childhood trauma, um, social environmental issues. I believe now that there is coming a shift with regards to music and the media, Where And I I, I remember watching movies where it was really glorified to have a threesome um, or to be in like a same-sex relationship. It was more glorified. I feel that there is a shift now in the the way that it is presented that is more like experimental. Um, It's more out of curiosity that people are engaging in these type of behaviors. So even though there is a degree that can be associated and attached to childhood trauma and all that sort of stuff, I do believe that for at least maybe my generation and the, and the generations younger, like below me, that it is just going to be an aspect of curiosity. There's going to be an aspect of I wonder what it's like. I saw it in that movie. I remember when um, oh, Kate Perry and her song, I Kissed a Girl and I Liked It. I believe that there is a shift of just like just try it and see. um. And I do believe we're going to have to address homosexuality maybe for our younger generation as an aspect of maybe you don't have childhood trauma. Maybe it isn't because your parents, that their stamping wasn't a positive stamping as you were growing up. There may be an aspect now, I believe, maybe more predominant than what it was in the past where people are just experimenting. They're like, hey, we saw that they'd had a threesome. Let's have a threesome. And we saw that she kissed a girl and she liked it. Let me kiss a girl and see if I like it. So I think we're going to have to address the fact that it may be just purely you guys are are messing around, fooling around with fire that may burn you. And as a result, you guys are going to have to now deal and process with it in a different way Um, because, yeah, sin is always going to be attractive and sin is always fulfilling in some sort of dysfunctional way. Um, And once you experiment with that, then you're going to have to try and retrain your brain and retrain your emotions so that you are back to what God's ideal is. Um, What do you think about that, Michael?
1: I think that that's really amazing. And you helped me to put that into perspective because, um, you know, many people will say to us, well, I wasn't like you. I didn't come from, you know, childhood trauma and I came from a, a perfect home and I came from a good home without any family dysfunction, which is a little bit delusional anyway because you know there's no family that is without any dysfunction but let me give you that let's just say let's just say that you came from a perfectly you know happy healthy home and you were still gay well you know that's the mystery of iniquity and i you know i don't make the rules and the bible makes it very clear that homosexual behavior is an abomination and that's not god's design for us um and and so here's the example there was a perfect family and they had a perfect father and it was in a perfect environment and Lucifer still chose to sin. And so, you know, he came from the most perfect home and yet he still chose to sin. So, um, and and I don't want to berate the person that that may be same-sex attracted um, and is trying to um, either justify their position, but okay, let's say that I came from this horribly abusive past And that my colleagues also, we came from these horrible abusive pasts and we became gay. Well, guess what? That's like 85% of the people that are LGBT is that they came from family abuse or sexual abuse or molestation. And that's a very real number. So for the 15% that didn't experience that are still gay, guess what? It's the human condition that is that we are drawn away to, you know, um, to ourselves. And now that there aren't borders and I want to address the other part of what you were saying, there's no borders anymore. It's like, you know, it was, a it was a bad thing to experiment as homosexuality. It was um, a negative thing. And so those those walls were up and people didn't even experiment. Now that they're saying, you know, if you're straight, have gay sex. If you're gay, have straight sex. You know, I kissed a girl and I liked it. And Madonna's kissing Britney Spears and uh, Christina Aguilera, you know, at the Music Awards. All of that is breaking down these defenses so mm-hmm. that other people are experimenting. And you know what the Bible says? that By beholding, we become changed. And so there are... There are uh, things inside the brain that connect, and whenever you experience sex outside of God's um, God's ordained um, um, parameters, then what happens is you're affirming yourself to that, and the super glue works. You know, whenever you have sex with a guy or a girl, you are locking yourself into those behaviors, and so people that otherwise would never have experimented are now finding themselves mm-hmm. same sex attracted because they are experimenting in that, and the flesh does connect to each other. And the enemy also knows that. So the the boundaries are down. You're you're absolutely right, Catalina. And um, so whether you come from a good home or a bad home, now the whole promotion out there is just to try it. It's it's sexuality Cause I, I that's even one of the, the letters on the LGBTQ. You know, the Q mm-hmm. stands for queer or questioning. And the whole idea is that the more you question it and the more you try it the more you lock yourself into these behaviors that are, that you otherwise would never have been drawn to. There's an interesting uh, law in the United States. Uh, Many of the states now are adopting this law that if you're 18 or younger, you cannot, um, you cannot counsel them that they could be heterosexual. You can support them and you can guide them in bisexuality, transgenderism, and homosexuality. But for anyone 18 and younger, you cannot say that you can change and become straight what's interesting they've done some studies and they found that like 85 percent of girls that had same-sex attraction that were teenagers by the time they reached 18 that they were totally identified as heterosexual normative and they lived lives according to that so isn't that interesting mm-hmm. that the statistics show that change is is um yeah. is extremely um 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 possible. And that these people are experiencing that. You know, I have this amazing quote um, that I share, and it, it really upsets some people, but I think it's powerful. And it's by a lesbian activist. She's a lesbian activist. Her name is Camille Paglia. And she says this, you know, there are people in the church who say that gay people can't change. Now, there, there are people in the media they are saying that gay people can't change. But that still has not been proven in science. But a lesbian gay activist says this. She says, is the gay identity so fragile that it cannot bear the thought that some people may not wish to be gay? She says sexuality is highly fluid, meaning that it goes back and forth, and reversals are theoretically possible. However, habit is refractory, and that means very difficult to change. Once the, pan, once the sensory pathways have been blazed and deepened by repetition, meaning the more you experience sex outside of God's ideal, the more you're going to find yourself connected to it and identifying that. She said, but once the sensory pathways have been blazed and deepened by repetition, this is a phenomenon that's obvious in the struggle with obesity, smoking, alcohol, and drug addiction. But she says helping gays to learn how to function heterosexually if they wish. And I think that that's the um, the catchphrase there. If they wish is a perfectly worthy aim. So if a lesbian activist says that change is possible, then who are we? You know, she's talking about behavior modification. Again, we're talking about a relationship with Jesus Christ. And as Seventh-day Adventists and as Christians, we need to offer people something above what they can get on this earth. And if it didn't satisfy me, Catalina, I would be right back in it where I was. There's just no way that I would have endured. There's no way that I would have made it. There's no way that I could stand up in front and, and tell authentically that God gave me something better if I wasn't experiencing it.
0: I mean and I totally agree with that I, I can totally agree with you and this last year I was like wow the things that I am capable capable if I was to like just leave God um and yeah it really made me see my heart for what it was worth and yeah it wasn't a nice place it was actually quite surprising to myself but realistically I think that's what it is until you allow God to be that and to fill that um yeah the, the other option is a much easier option to go with um All right, so let's finish up with the last point, Michael. Thank you for all that extra um, advice. And I I pray and hope that it is of some hope to to people who are struggling with that. What do you think is the future for our church with regards to what we see in the LGBTQ plus community? And how do we relate to them? How do do you, as being someone who has been there, uh, what are some things that you would give us in terms of advice as how to reach people and um, within the church corporately?
1: Yeah. There's a a couple of things that I would address on that. And, you know, I give one of my presentations, I talk about a, a transgender couple where the male is living as a female and a female is living as a male and they biologically produce two children. So that means that the mother impregnated the father twice. So I don't even know how you want to put that in your mind. However, You know, people, when I explain the situation, the look on their face is like disgusted, you know, like, oh, you know, like this. And then I look at them and I say, if that family came to your church, would they find Jesus? And would they be able to look past your horror? Would they be able to look past your responses? And would your children be allowed in Sabbath school with your kids? Would you invite this family over to your house for dinner? You know, because the blood of Jesus covers them too, right? And, and so the idea is to really shake up the church and to confront our prejudices and to confront our, our resistance and our hate towards these people that, that don't sin the way that we sin. And and we have to address that. If, if we want the church to change, we have to confront our prejudices against people because you're not going to change the first part because transgenders are coming. It's, mo- it's a worldwide movement. It's happening all over in Australia, as well as the United States, Europe, Africa, wherever I go. Um, So if we can't change that part, we can change the way that we receive people. And we have earned our reputation of being haters and judges Mm -hmm. and and people that are intolerant and bigots. We're all of that in the church. So we have to step up our game. We have to be as loving and compassionate as Jesus Christ was but that doesn't mean that we throw out the truth because it's interesting. In the truth, you, you either have people who hate gays and tell the truth, or you have people who love gays and tell them that that they can't change and it's okay. But neither are right. Neither is correct. We need to be absolutely so loving that that um, that people see our compassion first. But that doesn't mean that we compromise the truth. We uphold the truth because every word of God's word is loving and compassion. And that truth has to be shared as well. And, and so we can't we can't bring gays into the church until we change the attitudes that are in the church. And, and so that's what Coming Out Ministries really tries to address is we didn't realize that we would have these two extreme situations in the church, but we realize also that before gays can come into the church, that we need to change the attitude so that people can find healing, can find safety, can find love, and that they can also find redemption in Jesus Christ. In the church that I got baptized in, um, they were, it was a Caribbean black church in Orlando, Florida, and they were incredibly gracious to me. And Maybe it was ignorance on their part, but they loved me. So then I moved to Tennessee to this to this other church, and I wasn't even living that life. And they rejected me, and they were afraid to even touch my hand. The pastor couldn't mm. even look me in the eye. And so um, it was six years, six years that the Lord had me in that church. Imagine six years sitting in a pew by Mm -hmm. yourself, being rejected by so many people. And yet finally, after six years, I was doing Bible studies with um, these sisters and and they liked this little black church that was in our community. So I went to that church and I said to the head elder, I said, do you have any room in your church for an ex-gay, ex-sex addict? And he said can you preach every now and then because we don't have a regular preacher and just have a seat in the pews with all the other sinners. And that was so profound to me. Mm -hmm. And that little church gave me so much healing in, in my own masculinity because they didn't reject me. They treated me just like everybody else. It didn't minimize what I was going through, but what it did do is it helped me realize that I was in a group and being accepted by just like everybody else. And we were all messed up in this church but that we were all sincerely seeking Jesus Christ. And, you know, that that man that was a head elder, he didn't know how to help somebody like me. But because he was connected to the Holy Spirit, he automatically mm-hmm. started, started saying things that had healing for me. And he wasn't afraid to put his arm around me. And when occasionally I would preach a sermon, he would put his arm around my waist and he would talk from the pulpit. And, you know, he was physically affectionate and he was verbally affirming. And that in itself was so healing for me. And you know what, our churches need to be like that. Ecclesiastes Mm. um, 4 verse 10 says that if a man, what is it, it says that, um, that if a man falls, his friend will pick him up. It says, but woe to the man who is alone when he falls, for he has no one to help him up. And you know what, we have people that are falling down in our churches and we need to be more loving and kind and help them up instead of degrading them or abusing them or rejecting them or taking advantage of them. We need to be helping people up. And that may take time, but my church was willing to do that for me. And, and that, as an example, I think is, is a really wonderful example of how the church should be.
0: And in, in addition to that, you mentioned a lot of things that I'm like, oh, that's so true. Um, in addition to that, I think that if we understand the brokenness that comes from humanity... And obviously we're speaking about um, people within the homosexual um, community. If we have a look at what their brokenness looks like, often it is rejection, often it is abandonment, often it is isolation, often it is this sense of never being accepted. If the church is going to provide the exact same thing, abandonment, rejection, you're not good enough we can't let you in, Uh, sorry, but your choices are actually contrary. If we provide the same thing, why would someone want to come to our church? Um, They don't. They don't. Yeah. No, they don't want to come. And that's what I have spoken with people when we've talked about this discussion, like when people start talking to me, because I obviously am maybe a bit more vocal about the way that our church should be with regards to homosexuality and, and treating people from that community. When I get the people that are maybe like a bit, oh, but, you know, the way that you talk, and I always say to them, I'm like, how many homosexual people have you had at your house for dinner? None. I'm like, can you tell me how many homosexual people you have sat down and had a conversation that is longer than 10 minutes? None. So I say to them, boom, (laughs) so I say to them, I'm like, by God's grace and for his glory, I have had gay people in my house multiple times. I have gone out with gay people multiple times. I have let people into my family who are gay, and I mean into my family like they are part of me. Um, So I believe that if we have to discuss between you or me, which one is probably taking a better approach, I feel that my approach is more Christ-like. I have been studying with a transgender male and a lesbian couple, so they're they're two females, but one of them is a male. and we've been studying the Bible weekly, um, given give or take a few weeks where their schedule didn't work and my didn't work, but for two and a half years. And I have people who are very, like, against homosexuality. They're like, and have you told them that they're in sin? I'm like, no, I never have once told them that they're in sin. And then I but tell this them, is you really know why?
1: What? <laughs> this is really
0: funny. This is what slaps them in the face. I tell them, you know what? I have never told them that they live in sin. You know why? Because they've already told me that they know that they live in sin
1: but this is what's so
0: funny bible study like they already have the conviction and they already know what christianity thinks of their lifestyle all i need to tell them is how much christ loves them and how much god can do for them
1: but catalina that it's a man and a woman in a relationship there's nothing wrong with their with their relationship because even if he's transgender he's still male his his biology will tell on him his blood is still is still male so the transgenderism is an issue, and that and that is the issue. However, their relationship is really not out of um, you know agreement with God. You know, if they're if they're married. But anyway, it, it, do you see how convoluted but, things get? Like, but just so just you brought that point up, so I have had these dis- discussions
0: so in amongst everything, and as they have shared with me that they have been receiving conviction about their situation. So one day, it was like last year, at the end of last year, we got into a really heavy Bible study and it was just, I can't remember if it was about sanctification. I don't know what it was. But anyway, it was a heavy Bible study. And you know when you can feel the Holy Spirit is just like, he's just like searching hearts and like pulling things aside. Okay. So it was one of those studies where I, I even felt like really warm and they always have aircon on, but I just felt warm because I'm like, God, your word is just powerful today. Anyway. We're going through it and at the end they have a discussion and you can just tell like there was there was grieving in their heart because I know they've been wrestling with a lot of conviction prior to this study. Anyway, we sat down and they're like, you know, but I just can't imagine like not being with my my partner. And I said, look, I'm going to be totally straight with you. Like, fuck you, totally straight. I'm totally <laughs> honest with you. I'm like, in God's eyes, your relationship right now, apart from the fact that you aren't married, so you are fornicating, but in God's eyes, you are a son of God with a daughter of God and you are in a relationship. I said, realistically, all that God desires is for you to find completeness and wholeness in the identity of who God made you, which is a son of God. And I said, so really like you're, I'm like, you guys probably have a better scenario than maybe like a hundred percent, like female, female, male, male relationship. I'm like, Really, like, all is that you have to address is, is why you feel like you aren't complete. Why do you feel that God made a mistake? Once you're able to address that, guess what? Like, you're a male and female. Um. So, yeah, I totally – so we have had that discussion. And, yeah, anyway, however God works it out. But in addition to that, they've come to my church. My, it's a small country church, Michael, like, small country church. Most of my members, like, are older, gray hair. So – but they have come to my church. They love my church. They Trust me, appreciate my parents.
1: Those Those little old people, sometimes those people know how to love. It's interesting because there's so many times when a little old person will come up to me and they'll say, it's about time we're talking about this. you know. And I'm no, shocked because no. I, I thought they were the ones that were the most opposed. But it's not. It's not so. And, and a that's lot amazing. of older people. That's right. That's right. I want to tell you a story. There was um a young girl and she was doing Bible studies with a gay male couple. And they um, they were doing Bible studies for two years. And she called me on the phone and she said, "Mike, they're ready to be baptized." And and they're in my home every Friday night. And we pray together, we play together, you know, we eat together, we study the Word of God together. And she said, "They're like family to me, and I would never want to say anything that would hurt their feelings." And she said, um, "They've accepted everything about you know the Bible says about um, you know baptism and the Sabbath and all that." She said, but, and they said, you know, we're really ready to get, to get baptized. You know, what would stop us from getting baptized? And they said, you know, what does your Bible say about homosexuality? And isn't that funny that Mm -hmm. they would wait two years to even ask that question? And she said, you know, it's never been my issue. She said, let me study about it and, and let me get back to you. And they said, fine. So she called me and she had bought herself a little bit of time. But, but when she said that to me, I was instantly convicted by the Holy Spirit that, wait a minute. You know, the Holy Spirit's been working on their heart for the last two years and they understand the state of the dead and the Sabbath. I said, Why wouldn't God share with them about homosexuality too? And I said, Instead of you doing the homework and then taking it to them and telling them, you know, what the Bible says, I said, You've been doing the Holy Spirit every week. Why don't you next Friday just say, We're going to find this out together? And, you know, the Holy Spirit's been leading you and we ask for his guidance and he'll show us. And she said, That's Mm -hmm. exactly what she did. And every every um text that they went to about homosexuality they would read it in its context and these two guys were under such conviction and every time they read a verse one of them would say oh my oh my oh my right so i thought that was beautiful she had done it just the exact right way ministry of healing talks about um how christ's method alone brings lasting results and the first thing that jesus does is he meets them where they are he needs them where they are. He doesn't get in their face. He's not confrontational. He identifies with what they're going through. And, and let me give you another example. And, and and I think it's really powerful. Her name is um, Marissa, but she went by Ray. And she was transgender from a little girl. She grew up in a violent home. Uh, her parents were drug addicted. She uh, She went to school. She was molested by boys and girls on the playground. She would dress as a boy so that she wasn't victimized as mm-hmm. often, feeling like, if she was a boy, that nobody would do that to her. She fantasized about her wedding, but she didn't fantasize about being the bride. She wanted to be the groom. Her parents didn't care. You want to wear Superman underwear, that's fine. So she grew up wanting to be a boy. And she had this male name called Ray. And she would hear voice, the voice of Ray inside her head. By the time she was 16, she was determined that she had to have a sex change. She was also a lesbian living in a gay relationship. And so she moved to Um, A big city where she could have a sex change, she was going to therapy, and her therapist said, you know what, you are so manly, Uh, you know, if it were possible, I would just approve you for the surgery right away, but you have to live as a man for a year and a half, I think, she said. So she approved her for the hormones, but then this depression started coming in, and she would hear the voice of Ray that would say, you know, you should just kill yourself, no one's ever going to want you the way you are. You need to have muscles and, and facial hair, not breasts and smooth skin. And so she got so depressed she couldn't get out of bed. She called her friend she hadn't talked to in years. And instead of living leaving the name Ray for the first time in many years, she left her her female name. And her friend called her back and she said, come to me. She goes, I don't care what you want to be called. I'll call you whatever you want. She goes, just come to me. I want you to live. So, um, And so she went to see her friend. And her friend even paid for her ticket because she didn't have any money. So as Ray was out there at her friend's house, her friend just loved her. Her friend just prayed for her and she was so depressed and she would see her friend praying. And then one day she thought, you know, I've never prayed before. And she prayed, God, how do you see me? And the next image that she got inside her mind was this woman with long hair, you know, in a long dress, just praising the Lord. And instantly she said, that's not me. That is not me. And she dismissed that view at all, you know, totally. But as the time went on three months, as she was there, her friend would read the Bible and pray. And so she started reading the word of God. And in Psalms 139, she started to read about God's pursuit and about how, you know, God knit our delicate inward parts together in our mother's womb. And she saw it as a blessing. She saw the power of God and the creation of who she was female. So it wasn't like a a, a light switch on the wall that she could just flip and become, Oh, I'm a girl now. But what she did do is she started to slowly let her hair grow. And as she claimed the word of God in her life, she started to replace the garments that were in her closet. And then, um, and then one day she heard God saying to her and God said to her, he said, you know what? You've been living as a man for a lot of years. He says, have you even thought about embracing who I made you to be? And so then she started to claim her femininity. You know what? She never did get that sex change. She, she uh, claimed what God had made her to be. And if she would have had that surgery, she would have mutilated and, and removed her breasts. She would have mutilated her, her female organs and um, three years ago, because she didn't mutilate her body, God restored her. She got married. And, you know, just two months ago, she had her second child. So mm. had she had she done it according to the world, she would have mutilated herself. But now, because she claimed what God has done in her life, she, she's been able to nurse her children. She's been married to her husband. And um, she's got a life that she never would have had. Yeah.
0: And I think Isn't that, that that's really important it's so amazing like it really is amazing and it's really important for people to understand that everyone's journey can look so different you know and we can't lose hope that God will complete people God will make them whole again and I think sometimes and I know for me who who I've done you know lots of bible studies with people and um, I've worked with different people from my community it's very easy to say oh but They're not baptized or to say, oh, you know, they're not coming to my church. There's this mindset where everything has to be so instant. um, Mm -hmm. But God is so long Mm -hmm. suffering with each one of us that if we really want to replicate his spirit and his ministry, we have to be long suffering. And, And I have studied with this couple for almost three years now. And there has never been this, oh, I need them baptized or I need them to split up or, you know, to stop wearing female. There has never been that because I understand that the process and the journey is so long um, and we just have to be patient. And in addition to that, I do want to add that from what people know about my God, they know that he's condemning. They know that he is going to bring about judgment. They know that he hates sinners. Like you said, the church has done a great job at representing God God in a terrible way. Therefore, Satan has done that and Satan has used to give a really marred and tainted version of God's character. Therefore, as Christians, we have to try and find that balance and bring out God's character in his fullness in all aspects in the mercy, the grace, and long suffering, and in the justice and judgment. Therefore, I believe that as a church, we don't need to condemn people because. Media and society has already told people that our God is a condemning God in his own way and that he is going to kill people that are in sin. They know that. But what they don't know is my loving God. They don't know the compassion of my God. They don't know that my God is accepting and he's willing to take anyone who is willing to come to him. So I believe as a church, that's what we need to represent in a more like example of like just we just have to magnify that aspect of God's character because media already has done a great job of magnifying like a minimal or a minor aspect of God's character and not the complete character of God.
1: I couldn't have said it better. That's it. That's it (laughs) in a nutshell. We have to change the way we've been playing church. And you know what? People already feel condemned before they even come to the church. Another point that you brought up to me is that We have to change the way that we talk to people. You know, we can't use the word abomination and you're going to go to hell. Like, those don't work. Scare tactics isn't what God uses to draw people in. You know, so when we use those words, you know, sin and abomination, gay people don't relate to that. You know, people who are unchurched, you know, we have to change it. We can say the same thing, but we have to use different words that aren't so inflammatory or offensive or, or even ignorant for people that don't know anything about God. Because he, here's my thing, if we're relating to people where they are, we have to use the words that they understand. We can't use you know, words assuming that people know what it's like to be through church. But oh, that was another funny story. I wanted to talk about that, about how the church is not equipped to really handle people you know, that are gay or bisexual, or whatever. So um, at 20 years old, back in 1981, put that in your books, um, but 1981, no, nobody was born then except me. So in 1981 was the year that I came out and I went to my church before I left the church. I remember sitting down with this elder that I thought maybe I could talk to. And I, and I started to share that, you know, my problem was about women and he took it down a totally different road. I shut up, I clammed up. I didn't say another word, but I walked out and it wasn't long after, um, I had come out and I was in a gay bar on a Friday night. And being a Seventh-day Adventist, of course, you know, Friday, so the Sabbath. So I'm sitting there at the bar. I ordered my drink from the bartender. And then the guy sitting to my right had already gotten his drink. And then this guy to my left comes up and he orders his drink. So when he orders his drink, he says to the bartender, he said, hey, happy Sabbath. And I looked. And then the guy next to me, he said the same thing. He goes, oh, yeah, happy Sabbath. And then, of course, I chimed in and we realized that all four of us, we're Seventh-day Adventists. And isn't that sad that the only place that we could celebrate the Sabbath was on a ga- in a gay bar on a Friday night. Oh. And we all shared our stories of rejection. We shared our stories of how we were either ignored or tolerated until we left. And, you know, how sad that the only place that we felt safe to share mm. was there in a gay bar on a Friday night. And I think you understand my point about that is that, you know, the church has really missed golden opportunities to affirm and to help heal somebody, you know, to restore somebody is much better than to reject them and kick them out of the church. And every, every point we make, and there are times when we have to ask people, you know, to remove their names from the books. And you know what? My name needed to be removed from the book when I actively chose to be gay. However, I didn't need a push and the church gave me a very good push out of the church. Mm -hmm. We should be as, as harmless as does, but as wise as, um, serpents in in restoring and helping to connect people oh one more story i'm 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 the storyteller if if you'll indulge me one more story because i I think that this i think this is a, a really great great way to balance out those stories of rejection um so when i came when i came into the church i found two other men that were also coming out of homosexuality and we were scattered we didn't know like I was affirmed in my homosexuality. I wasn't changing. This other guy was looking for a monogamous relationship and the other guy, he didn't know what he wanted. So we were like the three musketeers and we were just Mm -hmm. blindly going through church. We had a relationship with Jesus Christ and a friendship with each other. And we found that we could, you know, we were a safe place for each other. So there was this, um, this, this, Colombian couple, and they had a little girl, and they came from Colombia, South America, and they were immigrants, and they didn't speak our language very well, and they lived in a tenement. They just lived in this really low-income housing project, and here I am, you know, a rich man with a house with a pool and a Mercedes convertible, and my friend Ruben, who was Puerto Rican, who spoke Spanish, he would go to their house, and and he would study the Bible on Sunday nights, and so he called me, and he said, hey, Mike, you got to come over to the Bible study on Sunday night. And I go, mm, Sunday night Bible study? I don't think so. And he said, Well, they feed us. And I said, Okay, I'm in. So I would go and I would eat their food and we would study together. And they had a daughter that was ten years old. So now get this this immigrant family who's giving us everything that they have, but they have very little. Mm. And they're feeding us and they're having, you know, making friends with us. And and now they've got three homosexuals in their living room every Sunday night. And so after many months, the wife said to her husband, she said, Do you think they're gay? And the husband said, I don't know. And and she said, well, should we be concerned about our daughter who's only 10 years old? And he said, you know, the blood of Jesus was shed for them just like it was for us. And she said, I'm so glad you said that because I've loved them. I've really learned to love them. And, you know, we stayed close and that was 20 years ago. And that little girl grew up. And, and you know, when I moved away from Orlando to Tennessee, they moved with me and they lived with me until they found a house. Um, you know, their daughter has asked me you know, questions about life, and and we've stayed good friends ever since. And and what was so amazing, and I think that this shows you the power of God, even though this couple didn't know how to deal with three gays in their living room, they just claimed the gospel, wow. and they just loved us sincerely. And so when that young girl grew up, she became a nurse, and this boy wanted to marry her. And she said, if you want my hand in marriage, um, you have to ask my father for permission, and my Carducci. And that's just how close mm-hmm. our families have been together. And that, I think, is a perfect example of what the church needs to be. And even in our ignorance and even in our frailties and humanity, if we are surrendered to the Holy Spirit, he shows us exactly who needs a hug and who needs um, um, uh, a lunch or or um, a friendship. And, and God puts very unlikely people together when we are surrendered to the Holy Spirit.
0: Yeah, I agree. And I think that I think there's a massive impact that just those relationships within the Christian church can have on our journey uh, that nurturing and that care and that protection can be, can have a real massive impact to getting us over the line. Um, and we really need to just value that and treasure and protect it. Um, in addition to that, and this will probably be my final point, otherwise this is going to be like a two and a half hour podcast. <laughs> in addition to that, um, I've, I actually wrote up a, a presentation about how to minister to people in the LGBTQ+ plus community and I literally start the presentation with how would you minister to anyone who is living in sin and who does not know their saviour because I think we need to understand that that is what we're doing. We're bringing people to a point where they can understand that they are forgiven, that they are cleansed, that they are transformed and that they are redeemed. Regardless of what the sin looks like, that that is how we minister to anyone. And if we would open up our home to someone who is in the sin of fornication, in the sin of lying, in the sin of stealing, in the sin of murder, in the sin of whatever, if we would open up our home and invite them and make them part of our family, then that is the exact same thing we would do to someone who is in the LGBTQ community.
1: So Catalina, you, you make a really great point and you just really um, affirm what I say to people. So many people say, well, how do I minister to my, to my gay mm-hmm. neighbor or my gay sister, or my gay father, whatever that is. And, and I look at them and I go, there's no protocol. There's no protocol for, yeah. for reaching gays. There's no protocols for drug addicts. There's no protocol for liars. How about the gossips in the church? Let's have a protocol for them. The protocol is mm-hmm. the same. The protocol is what Jesus said. He said, if I be lifted up, I will draw all men unto me. Lift up Jesus, lift up Jesus. And you know what? I love that God makes the gospel so simple and the way to reach people, you don't have to worry about the protocol and don't focus on who they're sleeping with. Focus on the fact that they need a relationship with Jesus Christ. You make that the focus and I guarantee you, let the Holy Spirit do his job and convict and convert people from their sin. Our job is to create an atmosphere where people can find safety and love and healing from their great redeemer Jesus Christ.
0: Yeah, I agree, I agree. And as we minister to people in our church who are struggling with that particular sin, um, it's the same thing. It's the same thing, just minister to them and bring them to the feet of Jesus and intercede for them in prayer and be there, be a safe space for them to be able to find counsel and to find advice and to just find a listening ear. Sometimes they don't even need your advice. Sometimes the Holy Spirit does enough of that. They just need someone to be able to share those thoughts and the struggle and the battle. And that does wonders for their walk. Um, so, yeah. All right. Any final points that you, anything that we haven't mentioned that you're like, I need to I need to share this before we finish?
1: No, no, I got it all out. And, and I think that what you just said was so beautiful. It really, I think, encapsulated the whole effort you know gay people are no different than anybody else and unfortunately um unfortunately through the gay movement it's like and even in the the pro-gay affirming movement in christianity is that we've made homosexuality something different and maybe that is the last point that i'd like to make is that now this term called gay christian is out and uh or gay adventist and it's being promoted even by um seminaries and our universities but it's, it's still wrong, because well, let me ask you this question, and this is the question that I say in my presentations, if if my door is only open this much, if my door is open just this much, and I got a snake that's that's this long, right, that's five feet long, maybe, what would you call it, two meters, three meters, how much of that snake can get in if my door is open just a crack? a yeah. The whole snake can get in. And so if we allow the terminology gay Christian, then what we've done is we've taken a sin temptation... And we've um, made it honorable or holy by connecting it to our identity in Jesus Christ. And so, then if you if you um, if you validate it and legitimize it, then you have nothing to confess. And you know what? That's a deception from the enemy. Is that it, the Bible says in First John one nine? If we confess our sins. He is faithful and just not only to forgive us, but to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So if I take my sin and temptation and I legitimize it by putting it on my identity in Jesus Christ, I have nothing to confess. And you know what? That's a deception. And, and it's not a gay thing. It's not a straight thing. It's a sin thing. And if we take mm-hmm. sin, and no matter how we package it or change it, it's still sin. And if we don't confess it, we'll be lost.
0: So then your concern with that would be putting the title to the identity that is found in Christ. So if you were to say like fornicating Adventists or gossiping Adventists.
1: Exactly. Like, do we call ourselves that? Do we call ourselves murdering Adventists or Sabbath breaking Adventists or stealing Adventists? No. And, And those might be legitimate issues that you struggle with. But my identity is in Jesus Christ. And the Bible says that in Christ, I'm a new creature that the old things have passed away behold everything becomes new so if I keep dragging around my old identity with me then what's the likelihood that I'm ever going to be rid of it I have yeah. to be able to say that you know what I'm not identifying by my temptation I'm not identifying by my old behavior like like I don't even agree with the AA principle that once an alcoholic always an alcoholic because that's not an ad that's not a Christian principle because again it's in Christ I'm a new creature Right. So if I haven't drank for 30 years, you know, am I still an alcoholic now? Now, the point that they're trying to make, which I think is valid, is that even if I haven't drank for 30 years, I'm still fragile, that I could still break down Mm -hmm. and I could be an alcoholic or I could be struggling with alcohol tomorrow. So the same thing with any of our sins or any of our temptations. But I'm not going to identify myself by my temptation, especially if God's given me the victory over that. And I think that that's yeah. really powerful because whatsoever a man thinketh, in his heart, That's so he is. You think you're an alcoholic? You're an alcoholic. You know, so when I went to Sex Addicts Anonymous for a year as a Christian, because I was still struggling with pornography, I remember I, remember I would have to say, hi, I'm Mike. I'm a sex addict. Hi, I'm Mike. I'm a sex addict. Every week I would have to say this. And I'm, after a year, I'm like, why am I not getting any victory? It's like, because every time I go to these meetings, I connect myself to the one thing that I say that I want rid of anyway yeah so again i'm not a gay christian
0: yeah and that is powerful because it has power for the good and for the bad if we constantly call ourselves redeemed we are like sanctified we are daughters and sons of god that is going to have a power and if we do the opposite if we tell people that we are filthy that we are corrupted that we are evil it's going to have an impact as well so yeah that's a really good point that's a good point to keep in mind as well. Mm. All right. Well, I think that's it. Thank you so much for your time, Michael. You know, like sometimes I think I'm not into real celebrities, but I, I there are people that I definitely look up to in ministry um, for the niche spaces that they have taken. And, Michael, you are definitely one of them, um, as well as the other people that are in um, the coming out ministry because there's just such a great amount of vulnerability that you guys have put yourself in. Um, to allow your testimony to testify to others. Um, so, yeah, I really look up to you, and I praise God for your willingness to serve him in this area that is probably so silent for our church. But thank you so much that you are willing to put yourself in a position where, um, yeah, you're sharing your experience and your struggles and your battles so that it can help someone else um, in their journey. So, yeah, thank you so much, Michael. I'm b- well, you know,
1: all the glory goes to God, because without him, I wouldn't be here, honestly. Mm-hmm. And if he didn't love me the way he loved me, I would never have yeah. chosen him. Yeah. Thank yeah. you. That's very kind. Well,
0: praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. All right. Well, I'll finish up. So, everyone, thank you. I hope you enjoyed this interview. And, um, yeah, I would invite you all to have a look at Coming Out Ministry. They have a Facebook page. Michael, do you have a website in addition to the Facebook page? Oh, yeah, page? we do.
1: Yeah? Ah, thank you. Okay. Thank so you. We, um, website? Our, our website is comingoutministries.org. And we have a documentary that we've now released for free. It's called Journey Interrupted. And it's now been released in 12 languages. And so you can go to comingoutministries.org and you can download a copy of whatever language you want to watch the film in. And I think it's a powerful tool to begin the conversation. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Excellent. And do you have a YouTube channel?
1: We do. We do have a YouTube channel. It's under Coming Out Ministries. Yeah.
0: Okay. Excellent. So get your binge on. (laughs) You have plenty of resources there trust me i have been there done that lost many hours of my day <laughs> binging um on um, coming out ministry stuff so yeah really thankful for that all right well everyone you have all the resources you have the testimony and you guys have the gospel um so yeah my prayer my hope and my desire is that you stay warm in god's love that you stay cool for jesus's name and that you stay on fire with the holy spirit all right see you all and ciao for now